Jack McDonald Show, Monday to Thursday, 10.30 to midnight, all summer. Yes, thank you, Laura. Now, the man on the line is known for not knowing a lot about movies, or certainly not knowing a lot about old school movies, which is why last week, and for the whole run, or whole duration of the show, he is being put to the test to see how we can expand his cultural knowledge of different films. Today, or in the last few weeks, or last few days, rather, he has been watching 12 Angry Men. I believe he may have actually just concluded it. Cahal, how are things? Oh, Jack, and uh, good to see the positive introduction this week. <laughs> yeah, well, last week. Anyway, uh, you you just finished up the the film. Your initial reaction? Uh, it's it's not as uh, it's not as glimmering as as my uh, raving review for uh, uh, the Godfather. Um, I'm certainly um, of mixed opinion for uh, Twelve Angry Men. Um, it's not rare, uh, or sorry, it's very rare that uh, I'd ever watch a black and white film um, and, and enjoy it more than I expected, which I guess it's, it's a positive for uh, 12 Angry Men. It was quite a good film for the time compared to a lot of other movies that are coming out these days with the amount of uh, film at their disposal. However, um, kind of... I'm of two minds with this film. Okay, well, well before we get any further, 12 Angry Men is the story of a dissenting juror in a murder trial who slowly manages to convince the office, the others rather, that the case is not as obviously clear as it seemed in court. So we pick up at as, as they are being adjourned and sent away. This is firstly the 12 Angry Men trailer. Have a listen. On the point of that night, a man's life is at stake. I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. I want you to watch this because I don't want to have to do it again. I'll make myself about six or seven inches shorter, okay? It's about right. Maybe a little more. Okay, a little more. In terms of its presentation, black and white, and you hear all that music, Cahill, was that pleasing, jarring? How did you find that? Cahill? Did we lose, Cahill? No, you didn't, sorry. Um, the, the movie, in my opinion, throughout the entire track was quite monosyllabic. I mean, it didn't really have the enthusiasm. I mean... <laughs> Other than a bunch of sweaty, sweaty men in a in a juror room, there wasn't much um, kind of depth to it. But that's I mean, the magic when, of it. I mean, it, it is, it is, and it's kind of the, the way I describe the movie is, is a, a very long game of musical chairs because the amount of time cut up and sat down was unpar unparalleled in the world. Um, but to be quite frank, um, the movie kind of kept the same. Um, wavelength and, and kind of it didn't it didn't have highs and lows it had kind of one bunch of ang three angry men uh and then the rest were just quiet or three loud mouths and, and then the rest were just quiet or or nerdy or, or kind of uh, uh piping up when they need to uh, and, and and there wasn't really much strain from that in a sense so oh, why are you way, annoyed at a lack of diversity not necessarily i'm just i'm just <laughs> there was three there was two personalities in it. There were the quiet people, 
who were actually trying to think of it. And then there were three loudmouths played. One of them played brilliantly by Lee J. Cobb, who was a brilliant actor of the time. Uh, someone who, who who just is unparalleled in his field of, of the older movies. But to be quite frank, I, I, uh, it, it just was quite monosyllabic in that sense that there was only two types of people in, in the entire uh, uh, film. Okay, okay, okay. Now, we're going to go to the opening scene as the jurors are sent away and given their instructions as to how to proceed with the trial. This is that clip. Here you go. You've listened to a long and complex case, murder in the first degree. A premeditated murder is the most serious charge tried in our criminal courts. You've listened to the testimony. You've had the law read to you and interpreted as it applies in this case. It's now your duty to sit down and try and separate the facts from the fancy. One man is dead. Another man's life is at stake. If there's a reasonable doubt in your minds as to the guilt of the accused, a reasonable doubt, then you must bring me a verdict of not guilty. Now, if, however, there's no reasonable doubt, then you must, in good conscience, find the accused guilty. However you decide, your verdict must be unanimous. In the event that you find the accused guilty, the bench will not entertain a recommendation for mercy. The death sentence is mandatory in this case. So the death sentence must be given if they come back with the guilty verdict. Cahill, did you follow the, the kind of, I suppose it actually became the secondary story of whether the person was actually guilty or not? Um. I mean, it was quite interesting. I I I was kind of more flip flopping than not. However, kind of going into the movie, you kind of knew that there was going to it was kind of going to have, I suppose, a positive outcome if you think about it, because no one died in the end. Of, or, well, spoiler alert: no one no one ended up uh, hitting the clamor. Um, from what I I understand. Um, so the, the movie kind of you know you knew it was kind of going in the right way. So. I, I, but I was still flip-flopping across the narrative towards the, the stage where the six jurors were split down the line and you had your man, um, the cringy character, um, who, who had the, the cringiest lines that, out of anyone. Um, he was juror number 12, or 11, I believe, or 12. And uh, it was my opinion that uh, until he started flip-flopping, I was kind of flip-flopping. And then when it kind of became clear that the end was nearing and that more and more people were flipping over to the uh, not guilty side and to the acquittal side that I was kind of getting more certain about well the arguments they're presenting does give reasonable doubt so I mean the secondary story was kind of the main story for me in a sense because as much as the movie was there and the, the, the arguing back and forth about morality and whatever and how one group is an idiot bunch of idiots and the other group isn't I was still of the mindset that it, that it was quite um quite easy to have a reasonable doubt on both sides uh, for either mm. scenario until mm. around uh, an hour in. Yeah, well, it certainly uh, was conflicted, and here is a clip of Cahill, as you mentioned, that confliction that runs through kind of, a, I think, a pivotal moment, this scene. This kid is guilty, pal. It's as plain as the nose on your face. So why don't we stop wasting our time here? We're going to all get sore throats if we keep it up, you know? What difference does it make if you get it here at the ball game? Let's take two pieces of testimony and try to put them together. First, the old man in the apartment downstairs. He says he heard the boy say, I'm going to kill you, and a split second later heard a body hit the floor. One second later, right? That's right. Second. 
The woman across the street swore positively she looked out of the window and saw the killing through the last two cars of a passing elevated train, right? The last two cars. Well, what are you giving us here? Just, now, just a minute. We've agreed that it takes ten seconds for a train to pass a given point. Since the woman saw the killing through the last two cars, we can assume that the body hit the floor just as the train went by. Therefore, the train had been roaring by the old man's window a full ten seconds before the body hit the floor. The old man, according to his own testimony, I'm going to kill you, body hitting the floor a split second later, would have had to hear the boy make this statement with the yell roaring past his nose. It's not possible he could have heard it. That's idiotic. An ignorant slob. He don't even speak good English. He doesn't even speak good English. I think that's a, a touch of a touch of class there. He don't even speak good English. He don't speak good English. So the the confliction was really running through there, and I think it was it was an interesting insight. Even if you didn't enjoy the film particularly, it was an ins- interesting insight into how a jury verdict may be formed. Did that side of it interest you? I mean, as someone who's never been in that uh, kind of position as of yet, um, it certainly was kind of. A big shock to see how how the you kind of expected what their their roles to be a lot more simplified because it, to me it seems like they were doing the job of the the prosecution and defence they they were really arguing the case entirely again they were and uh, you kind of beg beg the question what what is the the what is the point of the the prosecution and and defence if if neither of them could do enough to bring this case to a conclusion in the sense that they both had to... They spent an hour and 30 minutes in the movie, but I'm assuming the time went by quicker in the actual uh, in the actual narrative, I suppose. That wh- Why is it taking so, so long? Why are they arguing the case again in itself? Which is the question I have. But no, it was certainly a, a very interesting outtake and outlook into the kind of process behind the um the i guess jury decisions when it comes into these types of types of uh, narratives so yeah i certainly think it was interesting mm, okay well the pivotal scene comes really at the end when we start <laughs> to understand what well, start to understand the main bias there's many biases that are seen throughout the piece and why maybe one person leans guilty and another leans not guilty uh, actually, as always, for those of you who are uh, shouting at their radios right now, text is 0879350043, and what you're going to do is you're going to address it to Cahill O'Boyle. Anyway, uh, this is the final scene where we hear of the the majority bias and kind of the eking away at it. Very interesting. You lousy bunch of bleeding. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Rotten kids, you work your life out. Not guilty. Not guilty. So there we have it. Kind of, I suppose, the final biased exposed. Did did you see that as a bit of a shock? 
Well, <laughs> no, not really, because as, as as it came into the end, it was kind of coming to the point where it's expected. Um, it, the narrative kind of got drained out after the after the hour of March. Like I was saying, I kind of came to the conclusion that this was clearly going in a certain way. Um, the other, the the Lee J. Combs character, and I believe it was the actor of uh, Ed Begley. Um, he, he he was them characters were just completely and utterly stern opposition to him being uh, not found not guilty throughout the entire movie. However, as their own kind of narrative started to crumble into why he's guilty and not get, or why he is or isn't guilty and not guilty, um, that you could see there was kind of a a period in time in the movie where. Uh, Lee J. Cobb um, was kind of like no one says I'm going to kill you in a bit in a fit of anger like that. But however, the the character played by Henry Fonda, um, the the kind of instigator of the whole question of whether the seller is not guilty, the initial juror who voted uh, not guilty, he kind of duped and 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 I suppose faked Lee J. Cobb juror to go down the road of um, getting angry and really charging at him. He called him the statist um, and, and that just sends him off in this frenzy of anger and he yells to his surprise I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill you. So kind of putting questions on wait, can someone say this question and thing? So you kind of realise that these fractures starting to form from the beginning that the narrative was only going to go one way and then it kind of came into um, the kind of full fracture after the hour mark when you realise. Okay, well, overall score, Cahill. Overall score, we've got the four categories, and, and firstly, your overall score. What did what would you give this film? Godfather, I believe I gave that an overall nine out of uh, an overall nine. Um, I wouldn't classify this movie as, as good as The Godfather. However, I still think the the musical chair style of it was very unique to itself. So overall, um, with my initial dismay at the movie, it's kind of wavered. I'm kind of happy with the movie and content with it. Um, I'd give it a 7.5. Okay, and then our four main categories, which is cinematography, characters, plot, and ending. For The Godfather, you give cinematography a 7. For 12 Angry Men? Cinematography, uh, I'm going to give it a 8, due to its unique style in the sense that it was a single room with alternating camera styles, in a room that you wouldn't see them fit in, and the way they kind of projected the formality of the scenes, it's an 8. The reason okay. I haven't given it any higher is due to the fact that the musical chairs just was really, really cringy. Okay, then characters, for The Godfather, you gave it a whopping 9. For this? I'm giving it a six. The characters for this movie were not <laughs> were the weakest point for me. Like I said, I didn't like the style of um, the free stern opposition loudmouth to the nine other just quiet souls, uh, and it just didn't do anything for me. Um, I, I believe the actors were suited to the roles in the most case. However, I just didn't get the role of, of uh, one or two of them, and um, I don't think the actors were suited to the character in the end. Okay. For plot, you give The Godfather once again a nine. Twelve Angry Men. Plot for this, um, again, one of its most unique outputs. However, I don't think it's as good and as strong as um, The Godfather. I think there was a lot more possible plot holes in this movie than, than out of any other movie we've well out of the four movies we've reviewed so far 
including the two we did before, I think the the plot was stronger than the other most others, but uh, still not as good as Godfather. So give me Godfather a nine. I give this a seven. Okay, okay, a little variation, I suppose. And then the ending for The Godfather, you gave it a perfect score, a ten. I suspect not for Twelve Angry Men. Um, as much as the acting was great in the ending for for. 12 Angry Men um, bit over the top in, in, in the sense so I still think that the actors were were kind of focused on in the ending were good and um, again not as good as the conclusion as Godfather as you are sure um, I don't think anything could beat the Godfather's ending I was so pleased with it uh, it was very enjoyable the issue I have with the ending for this one is just abrupt um, you knew it was coming first of all it was predictable and then it was just abrupt Um uh, with eight minutes to go, I'd already known what was going to happen. And the stern opposition getting really, really uh, emotional about it. They were angry with themselves, angry with the, the opposite jurors for picking not guilty. And then they kind of felt forced into this sense of, of, of guilt if they didn't vote not guilty. So in the end, um, I'm giving the plot, or apologies, the ending, um, a respectable seven and a half. Okay. Well, as always, if you have any suggestions, you have particularly perhaps a childhood favourite movie, one that maybe you shared last moments with a loved one before they sadly slipped away, Coho will probably rip it apart, but give us your <laughs> suggestion at 0879350043. Finally, Coho, yeah. I understand that you've got a new job. You are uh, exam-tending and taking bribes. Oh, taking bribes, uh, that's how it goes. Yes, I'm uh, doing the exam attending for the Leaving Cert and uh, certainly... Uh, What's that like? It seems like it would be a very boring task. Well, luckily for us, we're we're, we're following the rules anyways in that sense that we're, we're keeping track of everyone. But uh, we brought in our ways of keeping keeping up to up to par on our, on our enthusiasm and entertainment, so we, we keep on top of that. It can get boring at times, but look, you're getting paid for it. What can you do? Okay, and finally, I decided that I would also step up to the plate. It wouldn't be fair for Cahill to just remove, review a movie. So, firstly, I, for today's film, I went with a modern one, Beyond. Sorry, Nobody. Nobody. I keep making that mistake. It's Bob Odenkirk, who was in Better Call Saul. So, here's the short trailer. So they took maybe 20 bucks and an old watch? Mr. Manson, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna f you up. So that was Nobody. It's the brand new film with Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk was a comedy writer on SNL and, you know, he has made this very bizarre transition. Very John Wick style. So the brief rundown, Hutch Mansell 
fails to defend himself and his family when two thieves break in to his suburban home one night. The aftermath, uh, aftermath of the incident soon strikes a match to his long, simmering rage. In a barrage of fists, gunfire and squealing tires, Hutch must now save his wife and son from a dangerous adversary and ensure that he will never be underestimated again. Basically, a hitman who has put away the weapons and now is forced to take them out again very very great and um, yeah that is it from here at uh, the movie review section of CRC thank you very much Cahill for joining us